church people in certain denominations have misunderstood the commands of God by saying that there is something that you must do in order to go to heaven. That grace is not sufficient. That it's the death of Jesus and his resurrection plus something. Now, without having to go through a long explanation, that doesn't meet with scriptural discussion. It is grace by faith alone. So there are no, these are the things I do and those are the things I don't do. And we're going to take a look at that. But there are those who claim that there are things that you must do, that you must follow certain commands. Then there are others in our culture who basically do away with the commands. It's kind of like the Ten Suggestions. We live according to what is right in our own eyes. Everything is relative. Well, that might be true for you, but it may not be true for me. And we have all of these rules and regulations that I don't have to conform to because it's all relative. Now, in case you think that's a new thing, all you have to do is look at the book of Judges. It frequently says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And there's nothing as Psalm, Solomon said, nothing new under the sun. So we have the culture who often says there is no absolutes. We have the certain denominations will say you're required to do certain things beyond grace. And I want to kind of meld those and discuss that. And so we're going to start by not looking at the Ten Commandments. We're going to look at what Jesus answers by a question of a Sadducee and a Pharisee. So one of them, a lawyer, and this is found in Matthew 22, starting with verse 35. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? So Jesus has 631 different commands to go to. And, he's, and the question is, which one's the great one? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Jesus answers the question head on. You want to know what's the great commandment? Love God. Love him entirely, completely, fully. That's the great commandment. Because guess what? When you do that, the other 631 will come a whole lot easier if that's what you have to do. Because you're in love with the one who made the commands. But then he follows up. He says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you've been attending this congregation for a while, you know what I'm going to say next. For me, that's a very high standard. I wish he would have said, you should love your neighbor as other neighbors love their neighbors. But it didn't. It says, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, I love me a whole lot. I take me wherever I go. I laugh at all of my jokes. I make sure that I'm fed more than well. I go where I want to go. I put on the type of clothes I want to go. I do that because I love myself. And God says, I'm supposed to love you the way I love me. I just wish he wouldn't have put it that way. But he did. And if he's my Lord, and if I'm going to follow his command, and if I'm going to do what he thinks is the second most important commandment, 
that I'm to follow him and loving you the way I love you. He says, on these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. So the 10 that we're going to see over the next few weeks and others that you may look at, Jesus is going to say, you want to know how to keep it? Love God. Love your neighbor. In those two, you're probably never going to violate any of the laws. But we have people who want to add things to grace. And so even back in the Jesus' day, there was this thing. We're Jews. We're, we're given the law. If you want to follow Jesus, then you must become a Jew and follow the law. Paul has a different opinion on that, which is scriptural. In Romans chapter 8, I'm going to start with verse 1, but it going to go two and three. Therefore, there is now no commendation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice it says now, not in the future. Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as though through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul is saying, it is the Spirit that has set you free. You no longer have to follow after the law. It's the law of Christ. It's the law of faith. It's the ones who has given your spirit. And so the Scriptures tells us it's not about following the law. It's about developing through the Spirit that He has set us free from the law. Well, if that's the case, Pastor, then why are we going to look at the Ten Commandments? We're going to look at that in just a moment. It is further said in Galatians starting with chapter 3, verse 22. But the Scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now the faith has come. We are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The scripture says, what's the reason for the law? It was to teach us something. It was to tutor us. It was to instruct us that God is holy and awesome and powerful. And that we are sinners both by choice and by condition. And you know that we have this natural tendency to want to rebel. We even want to rebel against our own rules. All I got to do is, for those of you who need it and those of you who don't, decide Monday you're going to go on a diet or you're going to do something. You're going to do something different that's out of your norm. All of a sudden, the thing that you really didn't care that much about all of a sudden becomes something you just got to have. 
Ice cream is, is a nice dessert, but it's not my favorite dessert. Until I'm told I can't have ice cream. And then I'll go to like McDonald's because it's not technically ice cream, it's yo frozen yogurt. So I can get away from the prescription. But we all want to do that. We have this natural tendency to rebel. The scriptures teach us that here's the standard that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And it shows us and paints us that picture. So the point of the law is not to get us into heaven, is not to make us perfect. The point of the law is show us that we need the grace of God. And the last scripture I wanted to take a look at before we go to the Ten Commandments is found in Acts. For you see, there, again, there were those who were saying, in order for a Gentile to become saved, he must become a Jew. He's got to become circumcised. He's got to do a whole bunch of rules and regulations, all the dietary laws and all the, all the other things. And Paul and others have been preaching faith in Christ and in Him alone. And so there was this controversy. What is it to become a Christian? What is it that you have to do? And so they have a convention, if you will, a meeting to discuss what it is the Gentiles must do to become saved and to be a part of the kingdom of God. Do they have to become Jews themselves or not? And the argument was by Paul and others that the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit before they ever became circumcised and all those types of things. And Paul said, it's the Spirit of God who's doing these things. They don't need to follow the law. So they came up with a plan that was hatched, if you will, by James, who said that there were certain things that they should do and shouldn't do. And so if you want to know what the law of a Gentile is, it's found in Acts chapter 15, starting with verse 23. And what happens is, they, after having this meeting, decide to write a letter. And they send it out. And this is what the letter contains. And they sent a letter by them, the apostles and the brethren, who are the elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, who are from the Gentiles. Greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, it seems good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by the word of mouth. So he's saying, we understand that there are people who are what the scriptures call Judaizers, saying that you've got to become a Jew and that you're, you're not really going to heaven if you don't do all these rules and regulations. And they got concerned. And so they said, we're sending this letter, but in case you don't think this letter is coming from us as well, we're also going to send people who are going to speak the same things so it'll confirm so that it might calm you down. So they said, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. That's it. The law of the Gentile 
Don't eat things sacrificed to idols. Well, that's not tough for our, in our culture because they don't do that anymore. It's interesting, Paul even kind of skirted this one requirement, said, if you go to somebody's house and they offer you something, just eat it. Don't ask. Kind of a don't ask, don't tell policy. And if they say, hey, this was sacrificed to an idol, then, oh, oh, well, I, I, not, not that I think idols are anything, but apparently you think there's something, and I've been told I shouldn't eat it, okay, I back off. And to abstain from blood and things strangled and fornication. So, if you will, that's the law of the Gentiles. Don't do those things. So you're going to say, okay, pastor, then we're going to waste our time taking a look at the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to tell you, no, we're not. And the reason we're not is this. The, the things that are told that we're not supposed to do in the Ten Commandments are not wrong because they're commanded against. They're wrong, so they're commanded against. Let me give you an example. If I go and walk up to somebody and murder them, I will get arrested, tried and convicted, and after I die of old age, being on death row for a long period of time, the state of California was said I did wrong. Because we've all agreed that it's wrong. But murder isn't wrong because it's against the law. It's against the law because it's wrong. You see the difference? So God is going to tell us, there are two, ten things that are wrong, and I'm going to make it against the law to do because they're wrong. It's not because they're against the will of God, therefore they're wrong. So that is why we're going to take a look at it. And if you will, that's where people decide that this is the ten suggestions. Because God is the one who's telling us that there is a moral absolute. There are certain things that we're not to do. And it doesn't matter whether it's right in my eyes or not, it's still wrong. Whereas our culture says, well, you know, what's true for you may not be true for me. And that is why, if you will, faith in a God is almost essential, if not required, to have a moral law. So God has said these, so we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So God is identifying exactly who he is. I'm the one who led you. I'm the one who freed you. I'm the one who's been with you. And this is what I'm going to require of you as a people who are going to be my special possession, a people who are going to be a royal priesthood, a people who are going to be a holy nation. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number one. Very short sentence. You shall have no other god before me. Now, you can read this in English two ways. One way is, God is your first God, but anybody after that is okay. Just make sure God is your first God. You shall have no other God before me. That God is saying, 
I have first place among the gods. That is not what the scriptures are saying. The scriptures are saying before is this, in my presence. You will have no other gods before me in my presence. And where is God's presence? Everywhere. We as the people of God are never to have any other God, period. Now the sad thing is, in about oh, 12 chapters, they're going to violate this really bad. They're going to develop what's called a golden calf. And they're going to do all kinds of things in front of that thing that they call their God. And you may say, well, you know, this one is almost archaic. We don't need it anymore, if you will, because we're no longer living in a society that says there are multiple gods. Except we live in a society and in a culture and a time that I'm my own God. It's what I want that's important. It's what's best for me. We become, if you will, our own gods and our own desires and our own preferences and our own plans come before the God who is God. So yes, we could violate this commandment fairly easily because we substitute God for us. Or sometimes we substitute God for fame or fortune or for other types of things that we place more value upon than the relationship we have with God. You say, well, why would people... People don't do that. All you have to hear is somebody say, well, you know, I, I think I ought to get involved in church and, and with God, but let me get through school first. After I get through school first, then I'll go to church. And then we get through school and we have an outrageous student loan. So I say, well, after I get a good job, then I'll go to church. And then we get the good job. Well, you know, I got to really work hard to get a promotion to make more money. And after I do that, then I'll go to church. And then we have children and they wear us out. And it comes Sunday morning, and you go, I'm so tired. I'll go next week. I just need to rest. And we put them off, and we put them off. And there's always a reason and excuse. Some of them good, not some of them not so good. But we always tend to put other things before God. When you put something else before God, you have made another God before him. Now, as I point this one finger at you, realize that I know the three are pointing back at me, especially when it comes to some of the other commands that we're going to talk about later. So, this is not an adequate command. And it's something that we should ask ourselves, if not daily, at least weekly or monthly. What have I put in my life ahead of God? Chapter, verse 4. You shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on, earth, on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. 
You shall not worship them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but show loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commands. Now to avoid this command, there are certain denominations and other religions who say that you can't paint or make a statue or anything of anything because that violates the scriptures. No, what it's saying is you cannot make a statue or anything else that you're going to use as an object of worship. So, you can make a statue of a cow and put it on your desk saying, I wish I was a cowboy. Doesn't violate the scriptures. It may be a little weird, but that's okay. Except for those who are listening in Texas, I apologize. I know you all want to be cowboys. But if you make a statue of a cow and bow down and worship it, You've now violated this command, kind of like they do in another 12 chapters. Now, where this can be catchy is in two areas. There are whole denominations who have statues of people. Mary, the saints, and they will bow down and pray to them. I don't think that's within the spirit of what this provision is about. But there also is sometimes a tendency to speak to something because you're desperate. And I'll give you an example. A lot of people love to have pictures, portraits of Jesus in their house or other places. find it interesting to have a portrait of Jesus because nobody knows what he looks like. I suspect he doesn't look anything like the portraits. But there are times when people will get so desperate they'll turn to the picture to talk to him. That's creating an idol. Because God is not a physical animated object. He is spirit. And he is here and he's there and he's everywhere. He's not at that location. Now, there are people who don't like this because it says God's a jealous God. I suspect if you're involved in a relationship, you're married, you have a boyfriend, a girlfriend. And if you were to go to your spouse and say, you know, I love you a lot. I'm pretty sure you know that. But you know, I think this Saturday, I'm going to get on hookup. I'm going to hit the bars. And I'm going to have a whole bunch of flings. Doesn't mean I don't love you. I suspect your spouse would say, not on your life. And at minimum, I'm calling the lawyer and I'm going to take everything you have so you don't even have money to go do these things. 
if I don't kill you first? Because you have a jealous spouse. Because that spouse says, you're mine. We have an intimate and a special relationship with one another. We agreed when we said our vows that you and I would be one for the rest of our lives. It's not part of the contract. It's not okay with me for you to do that. And God is simply saying, it is not okay with me for you to go gallivanting after other gods who aren't there. Isn't that interesting? People want to create gods and go after all these gods who aren't there rather than to be with the one who is the one true God. So God is jealous. And I think that's a good thing because what you do matters to him. And so then they say, well, but it's not fair because he's visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Well, guess what? When you make really bad decisions, your children suffer. You make an investment. You take all of your hard-earned earnings and you put it on black. And it rolls red. Your children are not going to have the same opportunities that they had before you lost all the money. They suffer because of your decisions. Now, I know in our culture we don't want that to happen, and we try to protect the children, and that's a good thing, and I'm not against it. But the reality is that we do suffer the consequences of our parents' actions. And by the same token, God further benefits and bless those who choose to do the right thing. Again, it is not against the law to have an idol and worship because that's what makes it wrong. It's wrong and that's what makes it a rule because there is no God except the Lord God Himself. Therefore, Sometimes I look at my life and say, God has blessed me far beyond what I deserve. I suspect it's because people in my past honored God and that I received the blessings from their faithfulness. I know my dad... He died when I was five. My grandfather on my mother's side died when I was three months old. My father's father died when he was five. Men I do not know and never met. And obviously beyond those generations, I did not know and did not meet. But I suspect It's because of those family faithfulness God has blessed me beyond what I deserve. So, you want to do something good for your children? Yeah, invest your money wisely. Yes, raise them, give them a good education. But you really want to bless them for a long time to come? Follow the Lord your God completely with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Do that, and I suspect you will have given your children a foundation 
that will be blessing them and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your great-grandchildren for as long as Jesus waits to come. But showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. We don't keep his commandments because it gets us into heaven. Because we get into heaven because of our faith in Jesus. We keep his commandments because we love him. Your children initially will do what you tell them to do because they're afraid of you. They're afraid of the result. If I don't do this, God will. St- uh, my parent will stay down me in the corner. In the old days before the child services, you got to spank them. You would uh, say, you can't have dessert. We, whatever the punishment may be, they conform to the rules because they either don't want to get in trouble or they want something out of it. You really know that you've been a successful parent. When your child... And that probably won't happen until they're 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. Do it because they just love you. You know, dad's crazy, but he's dad. He loves me. So I'm going to do it because I love dad. Ten commandments. We've talked about two. These two are defined by the one great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. So as the band comes up, we're going to sing a song that kind of says that. My heart is yours. It's not mine. It's not somebody else's. It's not a third party's. My heart is God. It's yours. You do with it as you choose. I will follow you because I love you. I will follow you even when it seems to be in my not best interest because of what the world says, but because you love me and I love you, I'm going to do it because my heart is yours.